First of all, I want to welcome everyone. This year is really a two for one. We generally give a tefillah year at this point, but we're also uh, including Haggadah. That's really what we're going to focus on today. I gave a shear on Shabbos morning. It was a beautifully attended shear, but not everyone's able to come on Shabbos live inside. And this is part two of Lost But Never Forgotten. What I've been trying to do this year through several of these uh, shiurim is focus on many of the gedolim that were lost since last Pesach, which is, of course, very tragic, but to try to go uh, from the morning to the elevation by sharing some of their Torah. As many of you have commented, which I try in general, the, the, these come from the uh, breadth of the Orthodox community. Everyone from Shulam David uh, Soloveitchik to Rabbi Norman Lamb, I'm not putting them on extremes, but you won't in every single shul or in every community find these names mentioned, but hopefully that's our hashkafa. We learn from everyone and they have a lot to teach us. I want to, there are many sponsors and they're going to be listed in the Shabbat notes or in the WhatsApp group. But I do want to thank our series sponsor who's getting three shiurim out of it. So it's a good deal. And he deserve, they deserve it to a Gail and Benjamin Ryder who are sponsoring in memory and to honor the legacy of Rabbi Yehuda Kalimer. I apologize for that noise in the background. So I just wanted to add something about Rabbi Kalimer that I didn't include Shabbos. So you're actually getting a little bit more. In the last year, I included something about him. You know, Rabbi Steinsaltz in his Haggadah, which maybe I mentioned last week, he points out that the reason why we begin with Kol Dechven Yisach at the outset of the Seder, it really has nothing to do with Pesach. But we're sitting this night, which is the night of freedom, and we're in Gullus. The Gullus that we're in, whether we live in the United States or whether we live in Israel, is a result, according to Chazal, at least uh, one of the dominant teachings of a Bein Adam issue. We know that's one of the reasons why the second base of Medrash was destroyed. So we're still considered to be in that Gullus, Gullus Rome. And what Rabbi Steinzal suggested is we therefore begin the Seder with an act of chesed. Now, every kid's going to ask the question, it seems a little bit too late to invite people. That's not my discussion right now. Rabbi Soloveitchik says we should have invited them earlier. This is a sign of cheros, of freedom. But I want to go to Rabbi Kalimer. I didn't mention this in the live shir. Rabbi Kalimer was the rabbi of the young Israel of West Hempstead. He was very close with the rioters and with many of the congregants. I didn't realize how many people from the shul had a connection with him until I, I spoke about him one Shabbos. I'm going to summarize something that I said. This was at a different minion, at a 915 minion. Rabbi Kalimer, a number of years ago, was in a terrible car accident. It, it was actually a hit and run. He was walking across the street and, and someone hit him. I wouldn't call it an accident, but a terrible thing. And I had a connection with him, not especially close, but through congregants, through weddings, through Torah. And I, I was, I don't know if I was the president of the RCA then or afterwards, but I felt an achrayas to reach out to him. But you know what happens sometimes, you never do. And I delayed it, I delayed it. And then I hear Rabbi Kalimer, someone was mentioning him on Shabbos. I said, I should call him. Finally, I was in Eretz Yisrael once and I had jet lag. That's when my guilt starts hitting me. You know, I'm thinking about all the things that I should have done. I probably called my mother first, and then I called Rabbi Kalimer. I spoke to him for a long time, because anytime you'd speak to him, he'd engage you in Torah. But I, I said the main reason why I'm calling Rabbi Kalimer 
is just to see how you're feeling. And I apologize that it's so late. You know, it's a year and a half after your accident. And Rabbi Kalamar responded so naturally. He said that, you know, when it comes to Karbanos, he didn't say all of this. He said it very subtly. What he said is that it's never too late because there's no violation of Balta Acher when it comes to giving someone a bracha to, of Rafur Shalema. What he was explaining was, let's say you come to the Karban Pesach. You have to bring a Karban Pesach at a designated time. You have to eat Karbanos at a designated time. If you don't, there's this separate prohibition called Balta Acher. What Rabbi Kalimer was saying to me is that when it comes to reconciliation between people, and we were not in a fight, it was just something that was lurking, a, a midah that I needed to, to fix by just calling him. He said, it's never too late. And I was just thinking about this uh, this morning because you know last year I had a conversation with uh, someone, with many people, I'm just giving you one as an example, you know, f- how is the Siddharim, you know, it was so lonely. And one of the comments I heard from people is uh, it's true that it was lonely, but it was so nice that, you know, Uncle Louie wasn't there this year or that Aunt uh, Bernice wasn't there. I don't mean my Aunt Bernice, because, you know, whenever they come to the Seder, they always create a certain amount of conflict. And, and there's certain issues that we just, uh, which happens in many Siddharim. And very often there are conflicts that exist in families that are just never settled. And the message from Rabbi Kalimer to me was, it's not too late until it is too late. And I think Pesach is an opportunity where, you know, a family should be coming together as much as possible, as safely as possible. And we should go into this Pesach, kind of going back to what Rav Steinzalt said, with an attitude of reconciliation. If it's true to people outside, then it's definitely people within our own home. So that was my tribute to Rabbi Kalimer. I didn't mention that on Shabbos, but I mentioned it here. I want to go on to something from Rabbi Lamb. There are no source sheets today. We'd be on for hours. So it's a little bit of a different style less developed, but I'm giving you hopefully meaningful sound bites. There's a very interesting Haggadah of Rabbi Norman Lamb. I have it there on my couch. I never knew about this Haggadah. I don't know why I didn't know, but uh, this year people told me about it. Actually, two people sent it to me, so I'll give one to the shul. It's an excellent Haggadah. It's pretty challenging. And when I say it's pretty challenging, it's not just nice veritlach that Rabbi Lamb is giving. There's a lot of Musser in there. I like it. I mean, I'm talking to myself. He has a great piece on Shabbos Haggadol, this coming Shabbos, about the development of Midos, how challenging it is to not reach out to people with angst who have hurt you. The Jewish people could have spent the four days of getting ready for the carbon Pesach with blood, not with the blood of the carbon Pesach, but they could have gone out there and beat up the Egyptians. You know, they left that to Hashem. So it's very interesting. He also has, I'm going to use something in Shabbos Hagadol Drasha about his attitude towards Halacha. It's not just like everybody's great, we love you. That's there as well, but there are demands that are made. You know, that's, that's what we are as Orthodox Jews. Pesach is not just nice experience. We have a little bit of matzah. We become Halachic Jews with Pesach. But I did want to share with you something that's not published anywhere from Rabbi Lamb, a couple of things. I, I reached out to someone from Rabbi Lamb's family and I said, give me some, like what happened at the Seder table? It's nice to look at the Haggadah, but what happened at his table? I mentioned it last week in the boot camp share. I did the same with Rabbi Schoenfeld, who was my rabbi growing up. So my family would see him speaking on Pesach, but what was going on at his table? And, and, I, and I heard from Rabbi Schoenfeld some interesting insights. What I find from all of these, just like hopefully in our homes, 
when we're sitting at the Pesach table, we're not giving shiurim. You know, we're not talking Reb Chaim's and we're not giving anal- analysis of uh, Mesechus Pesachim. I know Mesechus Pesachim people are finishing next week. It's not the time to make the siyum. We're, we're talking to the people that are right in front of us. With Rabbi Lamb's son-in-law, Rabbi Dratch, who's a colleague of mine, he stressed that Rabbi Lamb was really speaking to every single person at the Seder. And if there were people that year at the Seder who were less educated, then he put more emphasis on them. So it's very important for us to remind, uh, we're talking to, to not just about the four children out there, but we're talking to our children. And if we don't have children that are there with us, we're talking to each other. And you know what the Rambam says, if no one's, if we're alone, hopefully no one's alone this year, we're talking to ourselves, we communicate. And it's a good opportunity to explore and to raise issues. But I wanted to give you a few things from Rabbi Lamb. One thing that he said was every year at Vihishamda, Rabbi Dratch said that every year at Vihishamda, Rabbi Lamb would pause and he would talk about his grandfather. His grandfather happened to be a big postache in, uh, in America, in Brooklyn, Rabbi Yeshua Bamel, wrote a very important uh, set of svarim. And he remembered as a child, Rabbi Lamb, teenager, when he first found out about the Holocaust from his grandfather. And I'm not going through all the details now, it's very brief, but how he found out and the fact that he found out and the first time that he ever heard about the Holocaust is what he would say it every year at the Seder of Ahisha Amda. The point there, and I mentioned this last year when I was talking, last week when I was talking about Rabbi Schoenfeld, who would always pause at the five rabbis and talk about Bar Kokhba, is as much as the Seder is about us and the people that's in front of us, it's always about Jewish history as well. Obviously, built into the Haggadah is a lot of history, but I encourage everyone to, to, to find, you know, we all have certain periods of Jewish history that maybe we know more than others that are more meaningful to us. It's an excellent opportunity to share that. And I'm not preaching, I'm talking to myself as well. Our children should know that we have an appreciation, that they are important. You know, someone said to me, I didn't say this on Shabbos, one of my beautiful congregants, you're all beautiful. Uh, one said, you know, my kid's stuck in, the, the, the second the person said this, he knew he was going to be in many drushes. So Baruch Hashem, he said, you know, my son's stuck in Israel for Pesach. And I said, don't say that. Don't chas shalom, you should never say that. Your son is never stuck in Israel. You're stuck, unfortunately, that you're not able to see him. And that is sad. And you wish you could be together. We're stuck over here. So these themes, historically, just to have an appreciation is very important. Now, with all of that sadness of Ahishamda, Rabbi Lamb said that his father-in-law would, and he felt the need to share this with me. This is what, uh, sorry, Rabbi Drash felt the need to share this with me. So it meant a lot to him. He would take a walk in Brooklyn after the Seder and he'd walk in the streets. I know exactly why he walked in the streets. Rabbi Drash didn't even tell me. You see, Pesach night is Lel Shimurim. It's the night where we feel a certain sense of bravado, of toughness. You know, you open up your door and you say, Shefocha Mascha. You know, I always open my door and I say, you want to mess with me? That's our family, Minog. Now, no one's out there, so it's easier for me to talk that way. There are people who don't say, Kriya Shema Alamita. We're showing that this is a night that we feel very safe. Now, again, you don't walk into a, a, someone's face and say that if you think they're going to punch you. But it shows, again, uh, historically, and even today, we have a certain amount of courage. We have a certain amount of strength. We could appreciate that now more than ever 
I was just thinking about this now. I didn't mention a lot of these ideas in Shabbos. I can't repeat things. I have a Haggadah. It's, it's a Tzahal Haggadah. And, I, you know, we always put out a whole bunch of Haggadahs. And we once had a guest who picked up the Tzahal Haggadah almost with tears, right? This was a, someone who knew a lot about, unfortunately, what happened. So who would have imagined that there would be a Haggadah with Chayalim inside? Just the beautiful pictures. One other thing that Rabbi Lamb would say every year at the Seder, I say this to my kids all the time because they accuse me of repeating things. And I said something, I don't want to give a long-winded thing, but if I repeat something, especially if I repeat things from my father, the same corny jokes every year at the Seder, that means that they mean something to me. So you should appreciate what I repeat. Rabbi Reisman once told me that when, when a Rosh Yeshiva repeats something, the Talmudim say, oh, this means so much to the Rosh Yeshiva, it means so much to the Rosh Yeshiva that he repeats it. When a pulpit rabbi repeats things, Rabbi Reisman is a Rosh Yeshiva and a pulpit rabbi, the congregants come over to him and said, you said that already, okay? But I know over here, people appreciate it. So you don't always have to come up with something new. Every single year at the Seder, I lost an uncle this year, Uncle Joe, Every year at the Seder, he did the same thing. You know, they called the Mats of Hope. I don't know if you know about that. I'll talk about it this year at the Seder. His wife's going to be there, my aunt. And it's silly when it happens, but historically, it means a lot to the family. That's how we develop family memories. So one of the things that Rabbi Lamb would say, and he would remind his family about the dangers, not just of enemies, but of assimilation, he would say, Shalom Echad Bilvad Amad Aleinu, that not only has one come, Lechalo Seinu. And he would say, L'chalo is to give us chala on Pesach. Obviously, they're not going to publish this in his Agadah, which means in every generation, there are those forces that try to assimilate us, even to take a day as holy as Pesach and get us to eat chala. But Hashem comes and makes sure that we're still around. I mentioned last week, I think in the Novin Minsker, the Novin Minsker is a beautiful Haggadah, and I, I've read a lot more of it this week. A Jew is never gone. A Jew may be lost. Hashavas Aveda, we turn we return them back through the Simonim of the Seder. I want to move on to uh, um, something from Reb David Feinstein, who passed away this year. Reb David Feinstein, in one of his Chumash works, says something that was so true about his father, it was so true about Rabbi Salavechik, it's so true about any great Jewish leader. And it's true about parents as well. We have to try to understand when our community or our children or our students don't respond. And obviously it's their freedom of choice not to respond. We should try to understand where are they coming from? Reb David Feinstein said the example in the Seder is when the Jewish people, Hashem says about the Jewish people, we actually covered some of this in our tefillah shiruach. They were so wiped out. And what he invokes over here is the B'nai Ephraim. According to our tradition, it's based on Pesukim and Devei Ayamim, 30 years before Yitzhak Mitzrayim, there were somewhere between two and 300,000 descendants of Ephraim who tried to get out, but they were unsuccessful. It's a whole long story. I discussed it in a different context. What, what Reb David Feinstein stressed is that Hashem was telling Moshe Rabbeinu, you're dealing with people who've had so much disappointment in their life. That's why they're not listening to you. And he used this as an example of trying to have faith in people. Maybe when they're not responding to you, it's based on their own uh, historical experience. Have faith in them. And we never give up on any Jew. At the Seder, 
everyone is included. And this is uh, just consistent with that. I want to move on. I have a few more. I'm going to take some more time if anybody has to hang up. One of the great rabbis who passed away this year, I think he's somewhat underrated. You know, people who are from uh, New York, from Teaneck, from the five towns, and, you know, the places in between, we sometimes think of uh, we're the center of the world. You know, I know this because I married someone from Michigan. She reminds me sometimes we're sitting in Israel and I, and I joke about her being an out of town. And she said, you know, when in Israel, we're all out of towners. So Americans, right? America is a big country. And, you know, one of the epicenters, Dennis Eisenberg is going to agree with me that, that the Midwest is very important. One of the epicenters of Jewish life, and it's been like that for a long time, is a place called Chicago. So, you ever had the deli from Chicago? It's pretty good. Chicago is a tremendous epicenter of Jewish life. I'm very proud. Some of my uh, past interns are, are successful rabbis. There was a Rav who lived in Chicago for many years. He was the Av Bezdin of the CRC, as well as the Av Bezdin of the Bezdin of America. I'm not sure I'm giving the right title. He was a leading posek in America. He was actually in Brooklyn for many years. He was a pulpit rabbi, then eventually becomes a posek. His name was Rabbi Gedalia Dove Schwartz, he passed away this past, this year. There were times I had to fly into Chicago, um, both when I was president of the RCA and just as a Rav to deal with very sensitive issues, whether it's issues of Isha's marriage, getting conversion, number one, very high, I won't say number one, but, but you know, top five rabbis. And he passed away this year, beautiful, sensitive man very sensitive issues. I'd say everywhere from Chicago to the West, he dealt with, you know, major questions and coming towards the East as well, because he had this position in the Bezin of America. So I went through with, with thanks to my colleague, Rabbi Lenny Matanke, who's a rabbi in Chicago, I, I was able to access Rabbi Gedalia Dove Schwartz Pesach files, and I've been going through some of them. And I wanted to just share with you one insight, which is so beautiful, and is a very similar idea from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Now, I have not gone through the Rabbi Jonathan Sachs Haggadah. I have it on my bookshelf. I hope I will. This is from an article that Rabbi Jonathan Sachs wrote. I'll refer to some of it in Shabbos Haggadah, Russia, when he was a professor at Yeshiva University for a year. You could actually find it online. You could Google Torah to go, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs 5774. I could find the link for you as well. But I want to use it from Rabbi Gedalia Dov Schwartz, and then maybe we'll add something from Rabbi Sachs. We, we're all involved now in preparations for Pesach. The Gemara tells us that Shloshim Yom, it's codified in, in Halacha, 30 days before every Chag was supposed to prepare. It's true we're supposed to prepare physically, but we're also supposed to prepare spiritually, emotionally. With Pesach, it's very natural to prepare because if you don't prepare, you're in trouble. I saw someone say, you know, prepare for Pesach in five days. If, if I told that to someone, they'd say, I'm crazy. Is, you know, what do you mean five days? It's easy for you to say it or to write about it. People spend days. I receive Pesach questions after Hanukkah already. You know, I walk into a store and they have the matzah out in uh, January. You'll be eating that matzah, but, you know, it gets me very nervous. People are very mindset for Pesach. Rabbi Sachs in one of his, in this piece talks about that's why we're still around. We think if you take a holiday that's very light, then it has durability. The opposite is actually true. But what Rabbi Gedalia Dov Schwartz pointed out, and this is all, I have sources for all of this. It's, it's found in the Shulchan Aruch. 
If you look at the source for Shloshim Yom, of preparing for a Chag, actually every Chag, but I'm going to use Pesach now, 30 days in advance, what was the precedent for that? So the precedent for that was a group of Jews that came to Moshe Rabbeinu and said that we are not obligated to bring the carbon Pesach because we were involved in a mitzvah, the, the mitzvah of burying dead. But we're not satisfied with not having this obligation. We do not want to be left out of the carbon Pesach. And Moshe Rabbeinu basically looks at them and says, this is where Rabbi Dov Schwartz says it. It's not like you miss Shmon Esrei Shachris, you sleep late, so you have to do Tashlumim, you have to make it up for Mincha. You didn't miss anything. You missed it because you were involved in another mitzvah. You are not Chayiv in Karvin Pesach. You know, that happens. If somebody's involved in a Chavri Kedishan, it's time for Mincha. They don't have to do a Tashlumim, they don't have to make it up. You didn't have to do it. If it's raining in the Sukkah, you don't have to make up after Sukkahs every single time that you, you didn't have a chance to sit in the Sukkah. But the Jews weren't satisfied. They were so enthusiastic about the mitzvah of Karvan Pesach that they lobbied and they rallied. And ultimately, Moshe turns to Rabbanu Shalom and Hashem says, not only should we give in to them, but we're going to have a new holiday that's called Pesach Sheni. It's one of the greatest holidays. I was born on that day, but for other reasons as well. So Rav Gedalyadov Schwartz says, this is something that we should remind ourselves before every holiday, that the source for preparing for a holiday is enthusiasm. Now it's easier said than done, but it does lead to something from Rabbi Sachs, that if you look at the way the Russia is presented in the Yerushalmi, not in the Bavli, he says, what do we have to bother? The rush is sitting at the table and saying, what, what a pain, all this stuff. We had to prepare for so many days. We're sitting at the Seder for hours. You know, there's always someone at the Seder who has that negativity. And, you know, in group dynamics, a negative attitude like that, it quiets everyone else. No one feels that they could say anything. Maybe they start second guessing their, their, their positive feelings. So what we should go back to and dial back to is these Jews originally who could have gotten away with it but actually didn't want to get away with it and wanted to be engaged and at least for me hearing this is it reinforces the need to be as positive and enthusiastic as possible Ramosha Feinstein spoke to a whole generation of Jews in America my Yiddish isn't great who was saying they told their kids listen we're sacrificing everything for Shabbos we lose our jobs every Friday this is really tough. This is miserable. And you know what the children said? This is what Ramosha Feinstein says. The children said, listen, we don't have to sacrifice the Shabbos. We won't keep the Shabbos. The, the kids very often, they hear the complaining. They don't see the sacrifice. And they're not interested in sacrifice. Ramosha said that in the 60s. I would say that's true a lot more today. So we all complain at times. But let's try to be as positive, enthusiastic as possible. The last thing I want to leave you with, it's a, to me, this is the, the groundbreaking uh, chiddush of the year. I've shared this with many rabbanim and you know, colleagues of mine throughout the, the country, and they more or less give the same reaction. If they're under 35, they say, OMG, right? If they're uh, my age, they say, wow, or why did I never hear this before? So this is going to be the last rabbi that I'm going to use. He's probably the rabbi that most people did not recognize his picture. 
and he's all the way to the left. If anyone has this uh, little poster that we put together, I want to thank my friend Rob Shore and Eric Tisro who put the poster together for me. And his name was Ramatis Bloom. I actually spoke about him on Rosh Hashanah. Ramat, the Blooms and the Baums, they sound similar. Many people confuse our families. Our phone number was one digit off and our address, he was 138.53, we're 137.53. Our fathers went to school together in Williamsburg. You can't compare his Torah knowledge. I mean, I, you can't, my Torah knowledge is nothing compared to his. So that was the distinction that people made. But his name was Ramatis Bloom. If you look behind me, you see those colorful svarim, Torah Ladas. Now it's a very popular genre of svarim, halacha on the Parsha. Rabbi Matis Bloom did this years ago, and he was like one of the first to come up with these Parsha sheets that were distributed. He was a Talmud Muvak of Rav Palm, and he put together Rav Palm's work, his classic work on Hashkafa, on Chumash, called Atar Lamelech. He's a wonderful teacher, very clear. I, I, I sometimes tell rabbinic students, if you want to get a sense of clarity, there's certain svarim that you should look at, Hegyoni Halacha, Ramerski, the Torah Ladas, don't copy them, the Chamalebuitz on Chumash, but you get a certain mindset of how to think and how to, how to structure Shiurim. What I never realized was that in his svarim, he also has Divrei Torah. I never looked at the Divrei Torah. And this year, as I was preparing for this, and I wanted to say something from Ramatis Bloom, this is the, the least colorful of all his svarim, he has Divrei Torah, and he has it on Chumash as well. And he quotes something here from Rabbi Cheska Levenstein, who I very often discuss in the Tefillah year. so we put things together because I use his Siddur. At the Seder, we say, Medchila Ovde Avod we're bringing in the skeletons of Avram Avinu. You know, today there's a cancel culture. I think that's the term that some people use. You should never remind people of, of hard times for them if they're not interested in hearing about it. That's a prohibition of Losano Ishasakat. But in our own history, we don't cancel the past. And we talk about the sins. Avram Avinu in the Haggadah is identified as a person who in the past worshipped Avodah Zarah. And he still was able to get a shit up, which is incredible. Today, he probably wouldn't and his kids wouldn't, but uh, they didn't just check the boxes back then. So Rabbi Cheska Levenstein says, why are we talking about Avram Avino being involved in Avodah Zarah? So the natural answer is what I just told you. If you want to appreciate how far the Jewish people came, then look where we started from. We started from Terach and we ended up there. But he says there's actually something positive, listen to what he's saying, in Avram's Avodah Zarah. It was actually part of his development. You see, if you look at the Rambam, this is sophisticated, and I'm going to tell you, you should look inside, but we're going to do it outside. If you look into the Rambam, the laws of Avodah Zarah, he's not telling us how to worship Avodah Zarah, but he talks there about the development of pagan worship. In it, at its core, initially, there was something redeeming about it. Again, this is not promoting paganism. It was at least individuals that were seeking some higher force in the world. Now it got all distorted and the form of Avodah Zarah that you see in the Midbar is, is hedonism, etc. And the form of Avodah Zarah that exists today as well is, is, is not the Avodah Zarah of Avram Avinu's family. They were seeking something greater. You know that according to the Sephorno, he doesn't say this, Terach was seeking to make Aliyah. 
because he had a sense that there was something special about the land of Israel. We all know what that is, but he sensed it. He just never, he wasn't a closer. Avraham was the closer. But what Rabbi Cheskel Levenstein says is, they were seeking to, of Dubaruchnius, to serve a spiritual force, Avotau Harbe, but they made so many mistakes along the way. But the fact that they were serving something allowed Avraham to upgrade it to the MS, to the truth. But Rabbi Cheskel Levenstein said in our time, and he's talking about this in the 50s and in the early 60s, I believe, we see too many people that are not serving and fighting for anything of value. And that's worse than Avodah Zarah. And he says specifically, they're not involved in any higher service. It's all self-focused. He doesn't use the term narcissism, but it's all looking yourself and seeing what could I do for myself? You're basically, that's the Avodah Zarah of today. That's not even an Avodah. And the example he says is when it comes to Gashmias, you see people that their whole driving force is Gashmias. That is further away. What, what, what I said on Shabbos, and I think, and I'm not trying class for Shalom to, to compare the two, but you know, you actually could be a hundred percent from Jew and be involved more in a Gashmias attitude than in the service of Hashem, if we don't remind ourselves, you know, the Hasidim constantly say, they keep reminding themselves, why are we doing what we're doing? I wrote something in the Jewish Action about this as well. And someone sent me a note afterwards that Rav Aaron Lichtenstein wrote about this years ago called Glad Kosher Hedonism, right? You could actually be following the halachas, but if your whole service is for Gashmias, it's so far away from its core, from the core of Yahadus. You know, I, I don't really know so much about it, but I saw a magazine, there's a new magazine called Machers, right? You know, it's, it's all Orthodox uh, people, no women, pictures of women in there, but it's all about high level scotch and cruises. And listen, there's nothing wrong if somebody wants to have relaxation, but if that becomes our new service, you know, Rabbi Reisman says in the old days, the ads in the Jewish newspapers used to be for sales, right? Now you see a lot of the ads, they're very glitzy. It's, it's, it's focused on luxury. These are just symbols. We are Avadim. And I want to just, my last thing I'll say about this is even, you know, it's Machlokas in the Gemara. When we say Maschel Bignus, is the Gnus the Avoda of Avodah Zara? And I'm telling you now from Yerichesca Levenstein, from Ramatis Bloom, who made this famous this year, that Avodah Zara, at least they're fighting for something. We hopefully are fighting for the Emes. But it's true also about the other opinion in the Gemara, which is the opinion, I believe, of Shmuel. Shmuel says when we say Maschel Bignus, that's the slavery. And then we stand, end up, we're not slaves to Paro, we're slaves to Hashem. There is a certain value in slavery. Chas Shalom, I'm against slavery. We're against slavery. But at least they're working very hard. You know, the Nitziv did not support, we're coming up to a Shemitah year. The Nitziv didn't agree with Rav Cook and others and, and the Avni Nazar, I believe, that you could sell Eretz Yisrael. He didn't accept the Heter Mechira. But he did say one thing that he's nervous about by not relying on the Hetamachira. We're going to have a year of a whole society that is not working, that is not laboring, that's sitting home and unfortunately is not being productive if we're going to close down the country. Now, they're supposed to be productive in other areas. That's part of the purpose of the Shemitah. The term Avoda should not scare us. Avdus 
slavery should scare us, but not if we're being slaves for a higher cause, if it's the truth, and to be slaves for Avodah Hashem, and to work hard for our families, etc. So these are just some of the ideas that I shared on Shabbos. It's much better the second time, at least for me, and uh, with some new insights. I want to wish everyone a, a tremendous Pesach. Also, just a little self-promo. It's not for me, but we have a number of families that are sponsoring the Shabbos Hagal Drasha. I'm giving the Shabbos Hagal Drasha twice this year. Same thing. We're going to give it live. That will not be recorded, unfortunately, uh, after 610 Mincha. And we're going to do a Zoom for the people that are not able to come. If anybody shows up twice, it's going to be very touching for me. But you have to prove it by putting your picture on. But one time is enough. So it's great to see you. If anybody has any comments or questions, I'll stay on for a couple of minutes. I went way over time from the normal time, but hopefully it was worth it. Okay, thank you. And I want to thank Aaron Rustin, who subtly forced me to give this share today. Thank you.